Well, if you want to have a seat and find your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Really good to see all of you here this morning. It is always a delight just to be able to gather with God's people to worship and exalt the living Lord. And we're going to be picking back up our series on kingdom living in a broken world. We're going to be looking at the final chapter of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. I want you to know the topic that we're going to address today, that Jesus is going to drive to the forefront of our attention, is one that there is great need for Christians to take steps of growth. And that is in how Christians are used by God to build up those who are broken. You know, we all are broken. We all have issues in our life, whether they be fear, um, perhaps we've got a sin issue, maybe there's something that we believe that's not true or accurate. What is really needed are Christians that care enough to make an investment to help us to take steps of growth in grace. But so often what happens is when we see people that have a need, and it's rather apparent, one of two things happen. You either go into avoidance mode, like, oops, Steering clear of that. Or you don't actually know how to handle it well, and you step into it, and you make the matter even worse. What's going to be needed as kingdom citizens in a broken world is that we have care, compassion, competency, and character so that we can actually be of spiritual help to those who are in need. And you might be asking, well, how do you do that? How does God use his citizens, those who are salt of the earth, light of the world, to be involved in helping people in the midst of their brokenness? If you want to know the answer of this critically important question, you're going to want to lock into Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Because this is what is needed and so often lacking. I mean, think in your own life. Aren't you grateful that you had a fellow believer, maybe a parent, someone in a church, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a good friend that helped you navigate some pretty deep waters, broken relationship, a fear, something that you believed that was not right, and that they came and they helped you take those next steps of growth and grace. If you want to know how to do it, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to learn how to do it. And I want you to know this is heavy hitting and it is straightforward And the first thing that you and I need to know if we're going to be of spiritual help to those in need is that we have to lose the judgmental attitude. Look what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. What Jesus is highlighting as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount is that we need to be people who love people, show and extend grace, manifest the character of, of God. And it's like built into our nature to be judgmental, to have a prejudice, to be superficial. And, and this happens, and it's, it's probably far more widespread than is even publicly acknowledged, acknowledged. But it's just like you're running quick assessments on people, very superficial, always external, and you're slapping labels on them. Or you are considering like, well, They may have that going for them, but they are a huge flaw over here, and I'm better than them in this sort of of situation. And so what happens is there are some people, this is almost just how they travel in life. They're hunting for faults. They're looking for problems, just little missteps. 
It's kind of like, like their eyes just kind of locked on for you to mess up. And Jesus is confronting that and saying, do not judge so that you will not be judged. The word judge there is the Greek word krino. It's where we get our word in English, like to criticize or to be critical or criticism. And it's a negative present imperative. He says, stop doing this or keep on refusing this. You don't want to be one of those who are superficial, arrogant, with a judgmental attitude, and you're always sizing people up and tearing people down, whether it's in your mind or you just go verbal on it and start talking with others about it. He says, I want you to not judge so that you will not be judged. And, I mean, why is judging people wrong anyway? Ever thought about that? Well, first of all, you are not God. How do people function? Well, remember when uh, God told Samuel for Samuel chapter 16, verse 7? God sees not as man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And furthermore, we're not to judge because we're not God, and we don't see the heart like God does. But furthermore, in our finite, um, frail condition, we're prone to prejudice. We're prone to make false conclusions. We're, we're fallen in nature. And hence, we're so easy to put, even with a little information, a false label on people. And Jesus says, if you want to actually help people, this has to end now. Now, Jesus is not saying that you and I have to lack discernment. In fact, he's going to later on, and we're going to see this today in just a few minutes, we are, ex- we are to exercise discernment. Furthermore, chapter 7, verse 15, he is telling us, you've got to exercise discernment when it comes to false teachers. There are going to be some of those, and they'll have a loud voice, and they're teaching things that are not true. They're not in keeping with the scripture. You've got to be able to discern false teachers from what is true. I will give you my word. I will give you my spirit, and I will lead you to the truth, but you have to exercise discernment. There are times where a church has to judge a sinning member. You got someone who is in chronic sin, they're unrepentant, they could care less, and they will need to be addressed. And so you see Jesus actually speaking about that, and he actually does later in the Gospel of Matthew. But the judgmental attitude, that quick to have an egotistical judgment, self-righteousness, unmerciful consideration of others, That's what Jesus is after. Really, the people that kind of epitomized this were the Pharisees. They were so quick to size people up and to judge them, to find fault in people's behavior. In fact, Jesus gave a parable about it. Remember, it's the the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Jesus said the two were praying. And it's really interesting. You can find this in Luke chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. Listen to how the Pharisee, according to Jesus, was praying. It said, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. He looked religious. It looked like he was talking to God. He may even had some of the right language, right? Maybe the right posture. But who is he really praying to? It's possible to pray to yourself. What does that look like? You want to see what hypocritical judgment looks like? Listen to how this guy prays. He's praying to himself, and he says this, God, I thank you that I'm not 
like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes and all I get. Right there, just in his words, you see his heart. That's how he was always sizing people up. Dolter. Oh, you're evil. Swindler. Oh, you don't give like I give. You don't sacrifice like I... it's It's a whole life wrapped in judging others. And if you and I are going to be effective in spiritually helping others, we've got to lose the judgmental attitude. Jesus said, verse 2, For in the same way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Measure, speaking like a, of a scale or a vessel or a rod used to measure like length or distance or quantity. And what Jesus is saying is, your standard of measure, so he's using that in a figurative sense, how you size people up, it's going to have a boomerang effect. It's going to come back on you. How you size up and judge people, it's going to come back and haunt you. It's going to bite you. You're going to be judged with that same hypocritical treatment. And so Jesus is addressing this major issue. Because if you and I are going to really be of help to people, we've got to lose the judgmental attitude. And what happens with judgmental people? They never think of their own sin. They're just kind of locked on in the problems or the lack of growth or the lack of maturity or the pain in another person's life. And they write them off. And Jesus is saying, this has to end. If we are going to be those who are kingdom citizens ministering in a broken world to broken people, we've got to lose the judgmental attitude. Second, notice what he says in verses 3 and 5, we have to look to address our own heart first. Jesus is going to illustrate with, it's, it's humorous, it's really exaggerated, and it's very memorable. Once you hear how Jesus talks about how you and I are to address our own heart issues, you'll never forget it. He's going to give this illustration to address the mean-spirited, myopic, self-destructive tendency to judge. And notice what he says here, verse 3. He says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, this is, uh, this is meant to be humorous. I'm sure that people are like, because <laughs> they're thinking about it. He says, you know, who are you? You got, a, you, got a, you got a friend, a brother, and they've got a speck in their eye. This could be like a piece of straw, like a little piece of wood, like still like a little sliver. And I mean, it doesn't take much, right? You get just a little bit of speck of something in your eye and you'll start weeping, your eyes watering. It, it's very painful. And, and it needs to come out, right? It's an irritant that is really affecting you. He says, before you go and address the speck in your brother's eye, Make sure you address your own heart issue. Get the log 
out of your own eye. And this word could be translated like the, the, the beam in a house, okay? That, that beam where all those rafters are attached to, it's significant. It's huge. He says, Jesus says, you need to get that log out of your eye first. Notice Jesus didn't say, well, when you see a speck in, in somebody else's life, and it's clear, you know, they're kind of walking around and they're, they're, they're not only in pain, but they're hurting others and, and they need help. Jesus didn't say like, oh, just mind your own business. Leave them. Don't worry about it. Look the other way. No, he's, he's, going, he's after the fact that we are supposed to care enough to actually help them. But in order for that to happen, though, you've got to address your own heart issues first. You know, when you see a, a brother or sister in Christ, they may have a, a sin issue that's just out there and glaring. Um, there's a growth step that needs to take place. Maybe they've got some fear that is really running through their lives. Maybe they're believing things that are, that are not true. If you, like, see that, and you're like, well, it doesn't matter. And you turn the other way. Or like, well, you know, I, I'm not, who am I to be involved in these sort of things? Let's just call it what it is. You don't really love them. You don't want to be inconvenienced. Maybe you're like, well, I just want everybody to think well of me. And if I actually try to take that speck out of someone's eye, well, <laughs> they may not like that. And after all, it's all about me, people liking me, right? That drives my life. So if you leave them like that, let's just call it what it is. You are not committed to them at the level of love because you won't deal or help them with their situation. Now, refusing to warn a person about sin or trouble, about they're about to ready to blow up their life or to help them with a significant issue, uh, that makes absolutely no sense if you're committed to them. I mean, think about it. Think about a doctor if doctors, and when they actually are doing their exam and they come across disease, cancer, a problem, what would it be like if all of our doctors saw it and just like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. That'll wreck their day. I, I want them to think really nicely. I just don't say, oh, you're good. Clean bill of health. You're doing great. Keep it up. But it's staring you right in the face. We would say that is malpractice, Right? That doctor certainly doesn't care about the individual, and they're not doing their job, right? So what is needed is a doctor who not only cares, but is going to have some competency on how to be able to address the issue that they're facing. I mean, who do you want doing surgery on your life? Do you want Attila the Hun? Are you familiar with Attila the Hun? Okay. Do you know what... Do you know what the Romans, I mean, Attila was, this guy was ferocious. His, his plummeting up, he would just come and he would just destroy villages. He was merciless. Uh, he led the, the Hunnic Empire from 434 to 453 AD. Do you know what the Romans called Attila the Hun? They called him the flagellum day, the scourge of God, because he was so merciless. He was so horrific. He was so brutal. Do you, when you have an issue that needs to be addressed, when you need help, when you need maybe a surgery or someone to take a speck out of your eye, do you want Attila the Hun 
Or do you want a surgeon that has been trained, that cares, and has some competency? If you want Attila the Hun, it's going to be a bloodbath, whatever your issue is. It's going to make a bad matter much worse. But on the other hand, there is actually hope, there is help, and there's even healing when you've got someone that cares, has got character, and has some skills to be able to help you. And so Jesus says, before you can really help someone, you've got to address your own heart issues first. You've got to take the log out of your eye. So what, what would be potential logs that might need to come out of our eyes so that we really can be helpful to people? Well, let me give you a few. These are probably some of the more common ones. The first one is pride. Just that kind of that arrogance that drives so much of human behavior. God wants to address that. Let me give you another. Insecurities. What this looks like is that you are always so busy tearing people down so that you can build yourself up. That's really driving a lot of this whole hypocritical judgment sort of bit. It needs to be addressed. It's a log in your eye. Let me give you a few more. Self-absorption. You're just so consumed and focused on yourself. And another is unholiness. Where you are not really revering God. You are not taking his word seriously. And you tolerate all sorts of sin in your life. You are unholy. These are like logs in your eye. And you're like, well, it's not a big deal. I want you to know you running around with your log in your eye, it's creating all sorts of havoc in your relationships. People can tell when folks are just living with logs in their eyes. You see, we best minister to others when we are spiritually healthy. Spiritual ministry comes from spirit-filled hearts, hearts that are walking with God. I mean, why does God want us to address the log issues in our life? I'll tell you. Because he wants us to experience depth in our fellowship with him. He wants our character to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we address log issues so that we can actually be helpful to others. It's interesting that Jesus refers to it as your eye. Do you know what one of the most sensitive parts of your entire body is your eye? It, it doesn't take much. But if you got a speck in your eye and you can't seem to get it out, you're going to need some help. And friends, all of us at times have specks in our eyes. All of us at times are going to need others to help us. Right? We know that. Like, for instance, I'm sure you go to the dentist, and if you don't, you should. But do you think, despite the fact that your dentist is so good, and she's great at what she does, do you think that your dentist actually treats like their own dental problems? Like that your dentist actually fills their own cavity? Or like, whoa, I'm going to need a root canal. Well, I, I know what to do. Do you think your own dentist does that? They may be good, but I can assure you they're smart enough to know, look, I need someone else to be able to do this. I mean, just even starting with the Novocaine thing. You think, how does that, I think it's somewhere right here. I mean, do you think they're just going to grab a drill and start like plowing away at their teeth and have teeth flying everywhere? No. They know that in order to address this issue and and to get well, I'm going to need another dentist that cares, has some skills, and that can help me. And that's how it works when you have a speck in your eye. I remember as a kid living in Montana, uh, 
my dad somehow got a filing of metal in his eye, and it just devastated him. I mean, he was, it just put him down. He was in such tough shape. I mean, my dad, just a really strong guy, and he, I mean, he just, it, it was everything. I mean, it's just tears. He was in such great pain. Um, so the nearest doctor for us was 100 miles away. So I meant like loading dad up in the car and me and my brother and driving, my mom driving through the mountains. That was our normal trek, 100 miles to Great Falls so we could see a doctor because there's no getting this out. And, and my dad was sick. I mean, he's, he's there. He's in a lot of pain, you could just tell. And like we had to stop several times because he had to get out of the car. He was so sick. And you get to a doctor, and that doctor was able to take that filing out so my dad could have recovery and health and to be able to see and to function well. Friends, that's what's needed. We all have specks at times in our eyes. You're not going to be able to flush it out on your own all the time. In fact, if that is your mindset, you're self-sufficient, you don't really need anybody, let me tell you the likely scenario you are probably injured and ill. And the isolated often remain ill and injured. We need people. God intends this for all of his kingdom citizens. Not, well, we'll go to pastor or we'll get a few folks that are really good at this and the rest of us will just kind of cruise on autopilot. No. Friends, this is how kingdom citizens engage each other. They love each other. It's discipleship at its finest to help you grow and overcome. Now, if we're going to do this, there are two extremes that um, need to be avoided in the area of self-examination. You have to address the issues of the heart, but let me give you two extremes that you have to avoid. One extreme is what we could call the shallow examination, okay? And really, this is the person that's pretty prideful, pretty arrogant. They may know a lot about the Bible, but this is how it looks. They're like, oh, I'm fine. And they don't really allow the Spirit of God to surface the issues in their heart that really need to be addressed. And so they may be rather competent, and they may know a lot about the Bible, but in situations where specks need to be taken out of people's eyes, they create a lot of damage because they're shallow and superficial in their examination. And I want to make mention this. If you have a major sin issue in your life, and you know it, you are not in a position to try to take specks out of people's eyes. You have a log, and just like Jesus' you know, imagery, you're going to create all sorts of damage to that end of the person you think you're going to help. But let me give you a second extreme that you need to avoid, and I'll call this the perpetual self-preoccupation. This is the person that's just like, okay, I'm like, oh, I'm terrible, and, and, and they live like this all the time, and they're like, Oh, but I have this, and, and I have this problem, and oh, I don't know about this. Oh, I'm not so sure. And they're like super timid. And what happens is, yeah, you need to examine your heart, but you also need to believe the gospel, right? Jesus does forgive. He does cleanse. He gives help. He will give you strength. Our identity is found in him. That's what we need to know. He will help you overcome so you don't live in this perpetual, like, oh, I'm just terrible. Let's remember, actually, you're a kingdom citizen. You're a child of the king. You belong in his family, and he intends to use you. Yeah, do some heart introspection, 
Ask the Spirit of God to reveal it, what needs to be addressed, but you need to move forward. And so when you do this, by the way, when you see God at work in your life, you're in a position to help others. When, when people, and God has used people of grace to help you in your issues and take out specks in your eye, guess what? You're going to be in a position to help others also. And when we are humble, we can be helpful. Let me give you another verse, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul is writing about this, in this case, about someone who is caught up in sin. How can you help someone there? How do you help the broken there? Look what he says, Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So someone caught in a trespass, they're literally caught up in sin. It's ensnared them. Who's going to help? What does the text say? You who are spiritual. Meaning, not only do you know the Savior, but you walk with Him. You're a person that prays. You're filled with the Spirit. You're growing in His Word. Your soul is being fed. You are a spiritual person. You who are spiritual, here's the key word, restore. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That word restore is used of of mending like a broken leg. And how do you do it? With gentleness. So like if you've got a compound fracture and you visit the doctor, the doctor doesn't ignore the problem, right? The doctor, if he's going to be really helpful, is going to address it. But how does the good doctor address the broken leg issue? With gentleness, okay? I want you to know that we're looking for gentle doctors. You don't want like someone like, oh, so you got a compound fracture here. Like, hold on, you know, like this. No, 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 no. You want gentle? They're going to talk you through it. We're going to put a cast on you. We're going to put this back in place. And I can tell you what, you're going to walk again. I'm going to help you. That's what we're looking for. The whole aim and goal here is restoration. We're after restoration and recovery. We're not after condemnation and probation. That's the judgmental, pharisaical attitude. We examine our hearts so that we can be helpful to others. So how do you help a person in need? Let me just give it to you really in a concise fashion. First, you have to identify what is the source of the problem. What's causing the breakdown? The breakdown in unity, the dysfunction, the problem. You have to get past symptoms, past feelings. They may very well be valid to the actual source. What are the facts? What is causing the problem, right? And so you identify that. You pray. You're asking God, and you're trying to identify. If you could write it down in a short phrase, it seems the dysfunction of the problem is this. The sin is this. Second, then, you interact with the scripture and biblical principles that are needed to address the situation. You're going to find that the better you know your Bible, the better you're going to be at helping people with specks in their eyes. But we live in a day and age where, like, you know, frankly, on your phone or your computer, you can look things up rather quickly. I mean, there's like a website like Got Questions. Yeah, I got a lot of questions. You type it in, 
They'll give you a really good biblical answer. I mean, it is amazing what you can find. Really, all the tools are available. He's given you his word, his spirit. There's all sorts of resources. You can talk to another person, but you identify what is the scripture that would come into play here? Because after all, it's God and his word that's going to bring healing. And then the third is you just instruct someone on the next steps that they can take to greater health. You know, so you see the issue. This is where we're at. You have an understanding of what health is. This is what walking looks like. This is what it would be if, it, if your situation was good. So here we are. What would be the next step? And then finally, then you just inspire them to trust God, to live for his glory and his holiness, and to see how he'll bring growth. I mean, after all, God can do it. And that's our hope. Our hope isn't that they'll just figure it out along the way. God can do it. He's in the process of doing it. So you help them identify. What is it? Are you failing to take responsibility for your actions? Is this, what is the sin issue that's, that you're facing? Do you lack consistency? Are you lacking forgiveness? Are you not following through? You identify what those problems are. This is what the scripture says. And God can help you do this. He can work in your heart. We need to trust him. And friends, that's how we can be helpful to those who are broken and in need. You got to lose the judgmental attitude and you have to look to your heart first. And when we do, we're going to be in a position to help others. But there is one other principle that Jesus gives when it comes to this whole matter of being a spiritual help to others. And that is this. You have to learn to discern if help is really wanted, if the person is ready for help. Look what Jesus says, verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and tear you to pieces. You see, discernment is needed to figure out if someone is really willing and wanting help. Not everybody who is injured, who has a significant sin issue, needs help, actually wants it. And you're going to have to be able to discern who those are. And so Jesus uses really strong language here. He says, do not give what is holy to dogs. Now, when I say dogs, while well, you're thinking of that cute little pet of yours, right? You know, and he sits on your lap and you put bows in him and all that. And you're like, and just like, oh, it's fluffy, you know? This beautiful domesticated dog, you know? And the dog gets the royal treatment. I mean, yeah, you take care of your kids, but you really love your dog, right? And you're thinking about that, but dogs in first century Israel, just like in third countries, in third world countries, they're, uh, they're wild, ravaging, uh, rabid, have disease, travel in packs. Um, they were scavengers. And dogs, uh, people were afraid of dogs for good reason. I mean, they're vicious. They'll bite you, they'll tear you up. Uh, dogs, these wild dogs, They'll lick up human blood. There's no fear. And so he uses dogs, but then notice he also refers to pigs, right? Don't give pearls and throw them before swine. And oftentimes when we think of pigs, why, you got like Wilbur, right? Wilbur at the county fair comes to mind. And you know, and we've been there, you, ever, you know, you go to the Extra Event Center and you see all these kids and they've been working on their 4-H project and they got these beautiful animals, man. I mean, groom amazingly so, right? And they're these pigs, you know, like, like wow, a thing of beauty, right? And, and they're so proud, and they can win ribbons and stuff like that. 
Uh, that's not what Jesus is referring to. For the Jews, there was nothing more unholy than pigs, swine. In fact, the Jews didn't even say the word pig. They just referred to it as the abomination. That's what they thought of them. Nothing more unholy, more unclean. What you need to think of is feral hog or wild boar. I mean, to show you just how despicable pigs were in Jewish day and among the Israel mindset, when Antiochus Epiphanes, the uh, Hellenistic king of the Seleucid Empire, sacked Jerusalem and took it over, do you know what he did? He sacrificed a pig on the altar to Yahweh, to the one true living God, and then he made the priests eat it, that pig that he had sacrificed took place in 168 BC, and that was the ultimate atrocity. The Jewish people said, that's it. It doesn't matter if it costs us everything and all of our lives. We're going to put this to an end. And it led to the Maccabean revolt against Greece, and they were successful. So Jesus uses dogs, swine. These were people that were the enemies of the gospel and of truth. And he says, you don't take what is holy, like meat that was given on a sacrifice. You know, they have those burnt offerings to God. You don't like pull that off and then just feed it to some wild dogs, do you? Or pearls. You don't take pearls that are of great value and like there's some hungry, wild, feral hogs and we'll just throw these pearls at them. I'll tell you why you don't do that. Because they're not interested in truth. That's what these pearls are. That's what is holy. They're not interested in truth. They're interested in trash. And friends, you throw something like pearls, wisdom from God to them, and they don't want it, their whole disposition is absolutely set against God and of the authority of the Bible and of what Christ has established in his kingdom, they're going to be angry, and they're going to try to tear you up and spit you out like Jesus said. They may, just like feral hogs, trample you under their feet. Their hooves are going to beat you apart and turn and tear you to pieces. You've got to learn to discern if people really want your help. Now, if you can figure out that I don't think they really want my help or even help in general, it's not like, well, that's it. No, we can still pray. And remember, God is going to work on his timetable. And even if this is someone that you really love and like, man, I'd really like to be helpful here, remember this. They are your deep concern, but not your ultimate responsibility. They belong to God. So what do you look for to try to discern if someone really wants help? Let me give you the characteristics that I, I look for and I found to be helpful. First of all, there is a reverence for God a true reverence for God. Second, there is a realization of what they have done or what they are doing. Like they actually see it, they understand it. Third, there is remorse over their behavior. It's, it's not like regret that they got caught. No, no, but there's a brokenness. And then this fourth one, that they're repentant. Repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that brings about a change of direction. That's what you're looking for. When you see that, you know that folks are wanting gracious help. You're looking for humility of heart 
and teachability. If you don't have those two, it doesn't matter how gracious you are and what kind of truth and what kind of help and what you're willing to do, it is not going to be received well. And I want you to know I've, I've paid some tuition on this. You know, I, I love to try to help people and, and like, like almost like a rescuer by nature, try to pull you out, big believer in the gospel and what God can do. But I've found that if, if people are really not ready, they're not humble, they're not teachable, and they really don't want your help, one of two things or both happen. One, they just run. They just disappear. They avoid you. They leave. Leave the church. They have a very low view of what it means to be in a covenant community. They're just gone. I mean, this, this is what we do in America. You don't like something, hit the eject button, and you just disappear, right? And we live like that. They don't want your help. They're not interested in true healing and reconciliation. They'll, one, they might run. Or the second, they'll revile you. They'll tear you up. It could be vicious. They'll say things that are not true. They'll put, paint you in bad light. They might try to lead others and that kind of, you know, just kind of put you on the warpath. And I want you to know it's painful to live through these things. And then after they've done that, then they run. And I've, I've been surprised. I mean, people you love dearly and, and you've been very helpful in their lives before and you're trying to help them here and all of a sudden you're like, what in the world is going on? We've got to leave this with the Lord. But growing in grace is the key to helping problem, people with the problems that they face. That's what Jesus is driving at, growing in grace. You know, at Fellowship, we have like a ministry called Regeneration that is so good. It's a discipleship ministry to help people address issues in their lives, specs, logs. Like if you know like, whoa, there's just something that's totally weighing me down. I know what's wrong. I want you to know like you, every time you hear about regeneration, they meet every Tuesday night, all these people that are coming, some of them, they don't even come to fellowship, but they're just like, I need God to help me. It is such a tremendous ministry. Why not take advantage of it? Why not really address those issues? And then, of course, we have a Stephen ministry. We will train you on how to listen, to empathize, to encourage. We will give you the training so that you will have a really effective ministry. And you know what your ministry is? The ministry of helping people take specks out of their eyes. It is a wonderful and it's gracious. You know, I am so grateful for the mentors in my life that have helped me with all of my speck issues and all of my brokenness. All of them have taken the time and the energy and the effort to help me. Thinking back to my very first mentor, a guy by the name of Doug Gardner, I meet him while I'm at college at the University of Oregon. He was instrumental in helping me come to place my faith in Jesus Christ. And then after I became a believer, like, I mean, he just kept working with me. He discipled me, put me in his Bible study. And, you know, like, I felt like I have just so many issues. And you know who was there to really help walk through those? Doug Gardner. I remember as an early Christian, and I was thinking like, wow, well, now that I've become a Christian, like, man, everything's going to be glorious, and God is always going to work everything out to exactly the way I want it. You know, maybe you thought like that. Like, for instance, I thought like, well, you know, like, I'm an athlete. Uh, I've been pretty good at running, but now that I'm a Christian, now, now I'm going to have this platform to honor God and win a lot of races. 
And you know what I found? It didn't work that way. And I'm at the University of Oregon. I'm in Tracktown, USA. And I remember one race, and we had an opportunity to run against some Russians from an amateur league that had been brought over. And it didn't work out the way that I wanted. And I was really disappointed. It was Doug Gardner that you know, listened to my moaning and griping and complaining. But help me to understand that my identity is in Christ and not worldly and earthly success. It was Doug Gardner that showed me how to share my faith well, to disciple young guys. Uh, I started a Bible study. I had all non-Christians, most of them fraternity boys, and one Christian in my first Bible study ever led. And I had to get rid of Carl because he was the Christian. And I said, you're not going to learn anything in my Bible study. I'll find you one that you will learn in because these guys didn't know Jesus, okay? You know who helped me to learn how to really do that well? Doug Gardner. Um, it was Doug who really helped me on some forgiveness issues. My family was not really excited that I had become a Christian. I needed, I needed help to deal with those specs, forgiveness issues, identity issues. You know who was there? My Doug was. Uh, he helped me develop my understanding of priorities in life, modeling faithfulness. Um, when I started dating Karina... It was Doug who modeled and helped me have a Christ-centered relationship with her. I saw how he treated the girl that he was dating and eventually married, Jereen, and I learned a lot from him. So when Doug got married, I was just like blown away that he asked if I would be in his wedding party as one of his groomsmen. I'm like, man, there are so many others that you could pick from, you know? No, he says, I I don't like you. But for Karina and I, There was only one guy that would be the best man at our wedding. It was Doug Gardner. And that's me shaking his hand on the day of our wedding. Uh, Just even this past week, Doug and I caught up on a phone call. You know, I was like, Doug, you are on the same trajectory that you were when you were in college. You know what he's doing today? He's doing the same thing he was doing back back years ago. Walking with God. He's a chair of a math department, and he just keeps investing in college students, pointing to them, pointing them to Jesus and the transformation that he brings, helping people that are broken and have spec issues. Friends, growing in grace is the key to helping people with the problems they face. Let's pray. Lord.